The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Proxy Freedom. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom has no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Proxy Freedom. With over 30 years experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. A new report showing inflation is cooling. Last month's numbers increased by only 0.2% from the previous month, but the Fed isn't quite ready to declare victory. Meanwhile, Fitch calls out Washington, D.C.'s mishandling of the federal debt by downgrading the U.S. credit rating from a AAA to a AA+. Welcome once again to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget, a program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager and author, Pat Vitucci, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, Pat, certainly no shortage of news in the world of money this week. Probably the one thing that a lot of folks are talking about, in addition to the Fed making its 11th rate increase over 12 months, yet still concerned about the direction of inflation in spite of some encouraging numbers, but then, too, a discouraging report coming in from Fitch saying, guys, you got to manage that debt a bit better, and here's a way to give you some motivation. We're going to downgrade the U.S. credit rating. Now, I understand the downgrade from AAA to AA plus is not exactly world-ending, but will it catch attention of Washington, D.C.? You know, you and I have talked about our debt issue for, what, 30 years 30 now? 30 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, we started when we were 12 years old, so I just want to make sure the audience understands and can back into some true age numbers. But in reality, Fitch is saying a steady deterioration in standards of governance. Well, that's a really great way of putting the fact that the Democrats and the Republicans can't get out of their own way and are trying to appeal to their constituents to get more votes by giving away free stuff. They've been doing it forever. And here we are, what is it, $32 trillion in debt? So while the Fitch downgrading is not sexy and most people don't really give a hoot about it, it really is a fundamental foundational issue that if they don't reverse the course of these numbers, there'll be another downgrade before you know it, we'll be, you know, Venezuela, where our debt is not going to be appealing to Japan or China, anybody else that wants to buy our treasury note. So it's kind of a bump in the road now. And a couple of days from now, nobody's going to be talking about it. I guarantee that. But it is a foundational change that while, albeit small today, another rating decrease or two or three down the road could cascade into some serious issues. Government, our senators, our House of Representatives has got to take this seriously. 
I'm tired of talking about it. You and I have talked about it. No one seems to care. Craig, if you and I had these debt issues on a commensurate level with our income, that's called living under a bridge. When the federal government has the power to print money, as they have so successfully forever, 30 plus trillion dollars later, it will become a much bigger issue. Consumer confidence doesn't seem to care. It hit a two-year high this past week. So Conference Board of Consumer Confidence uh, rose seven points in July, the highest level since July of 2021. Again, consumers are ignoring that debt issue as they have forever. It's not a sexy topic. No one talks about debt. All people look at is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ, maybe the S&P 500. Debt is not a fun topic to talk about. Guess what? If you you and I had debt, you and I wouldn't be talking over a beer about how much debt we have. We would talk about much more fun stuff, much more exciting stuff. So it's a reflective of most people want to talk about positive things. Having said that, 61% of Americans, Craig, live paycheck to paycheck. 61%. So if you lose your job for a couple of weeks, your cash flow is seriously impaired. And suddenly you've got to take some radical steps to change that. So we've got to understand 61% of families would be in hurt and shape if they lost their job. Jobless claims are down this past week. There aren't many signs of a coming recession. Maybe this soft landing that we've talked about for probably a year is really here to stay. That's all good news. The decrease of about 7,000 from the previous week is the lowest number of Americans filing for unemployment in five months. From an employment point of view, that's pretty good. Maybe from a raising the rates again point of view, that good news is really bad news. Is there one more rate increase at their next meeting? I'm going to begin to doubt they're going to raise rates again. I think inflation has come down radically, maybe except in the oil sector. Oil is up again. All the other indicators suggest inflation is coming down. I saw an interview with the president of Kellogg's. Kellogg's is one of those staple companies like Procter & Gamble. Inflation, good economies, bad economies. We're still going to eat our cereal in the morning. And so Kellogg's is one of those bellwether companies, kind of as a telltale sign. It's kind of the canary in the coal mine. Their numbers are very respectable. They came in with some reasonably good profits or reasonably good net top line numbers. The size of the box of the Cheerios is down considerably in terms of number of ounces. And of course, the price is up. He mentioned in the interview that their numbers are at the pre-COVID levels. They seem to be trending in the right direction. Certainly from the standpoint of staples, that makes sense. I have to wonder, though, as you're bringing up the topic of inflation in relationship to the Fed's actions and the ongoing increases in the overnight rate, albeit of late, just in 25 basis point increments. But I'm wondering, could there be potential unintended consequences of all of this? Meaning, yes, they're beginning to see a slowing of inflation, But one of the big things that we've heard over the last probably 10 years is housing crunch, housing crunch, housing crunch. We don't have enough housing. And I took note of the fact that in the last week, there's two very contrarian pieces of news when it comes to new housing starts. Number one, construction is up, 
But new home sales down, and of course, a lot of that I've got to believe is the byproduct of the increased rate for buying homes. What we were here 18 months ago, even less, maybe you can get a 30-year fixed rate at that time for about 3%. We're over double that number now. So could there be some long-term unintended consequences when it comes to really critical aspects of our economy like housing? There's definitely a correlation of interest rate numbers relative to house sales. And so you you hit it right on the head. People are not buying despite the higher number of homes constructed. It's almost like the construction companies, the housing construction companies are saying, okay, by the time these houses are done, maybe interest rates will start going the other way. We all know it takes a while to get all your regulatory stuff in place before you build a new development once you get the housing permit to build, you know, another housing development, you're looking at 12 to 18 months down the road anyway. So perhaps they're forecasting very uh, positive way that by the time these homes get to be saleable in terms of completion, 12 to 18 months from now, maybe the interest rates will begin to reverse themselves. I'm guessing that's their logic, continuing to build at, at a pretty good clip despite the fact that they're not selling. Even current home sales are way down. Inventory is way down. I mean, you're, you're not going to sell your house if you're sitting with a 3% mortgage and look the house across town and get a 6-plus percent mortgage. So inventory is down, and maybe the construction housing people are saying, okay, okay people are not budging, so let's build some homes that increase inventory with a new product. All those metrics kind of as they sit around their boardroom and try and forecast what the world's going to look like a year or two from now. That's a difficult assignment, Craig, as we all know. Lots of things can happen, but that's their business. They've got to predict where the world's going to be. If they predict right, they make lots of money. And if they predict wrong, they get absorbed and get merged in with with another company or they go out of business. And so that's the American capitalistic system. You know, I've been studying Europe and been traveling to Europe a lot. And I'm always in awe, Craig, of these countries, which all their rich bounty of history, the whole Renaissance period. When you look back a thousand years ago, they were dominating business. You know, big Venice. Venice was giant trading center and it developed based on, you know, Marco Polo and, and others bringing textiles through and agriculture. It was a great port. This country is, what, 230-some-odd years old. I think it really screams of capitalism, that, that kind of the hands-off philosophy that this country was founded on. In just 230 years, we are richly developed in such a rapid pace for such a short period compared to Italy and Germany and Greece. I mean, these were dominating economies and sadly the preponderance of overgoverning has stalled those economies in a significant way so i'm always in awe of old world right europe generally speaking with its rich history and beauty and elegance of most of those countries and then you look at our capitalistic system and you know we've been called overly aggressive and hardworking and We don't take siestas like many of those countries continue to do. It's uh, interesting that in our short period, 
we've been able to raise the standard of living so dramatically higher. We've got problems and we continue to have problems, but so do most of those European countries. So, Well, and, and quite uh, ironically, it's also demonstrative of the notion that if you are functioning on the philosophy that giving away other people's money, well, that, that's a great thing until other people's money runs out. And that certainly is, I think, part and parcel to what we've seen in a lot of these European countries that, as you point out, were historically behemoth. They were giants in the world of commerce and trade back in their day. But when they began to shift into the notion that let's start giving it away, we'll just take from Peter to pay Paul. After a while, Peter runs out of money, and then what? And I think that we're beginning to see some of the early signs of that in our own country, and when you add that plus overregulation, it can be a pretty a pretty lethal uh, combination when it comes to killing off the rapid growth of, of any economy, not just our own. Was it Margaret Thatcher says it's it's great to take money from the rich and give to the poor until you run out of rich people, and so she she kind of nailed it. Her and Ronald Reagan were philosophically tied to their hips because they really had their finger on the pulse of how to motivate everyday Joes to go out and create something for themselves. And uh, sadly, that notion, that whole philosophy is not as popular these days. Taking from the rich and giving to the poor is, has reared its ugly head in a big, big way, certainly in this country. Last week, CVS announced layoff of 5,000 employees. If you were in France, you cannot lay off 5,000 employees. And so the hesitancy to add 5,000 for fear of the trail expense, if business goes the other way, you can't lay off 5000 tomorrow. There are rules in, in the French economy, illegal, without lots of strings and, and lots of expenses associated with that. Well, and so, as we've seen in the news, the easy way to start a riot is just suggest that you're going to increase the retirement age by a year or two, and they take to the streets with torches and pitchforks. Is it age 62 or something? I think so. And, and Macron wanted to raise it to, I think, 64 or 65. We need to raise ours from 66 to probably 70, given the longevity issues and given the fact that Social Security is paying out more than it's taking in. So I was kind of happy to see some of the Republican candidates talking about raising the Social Security age. It's not a popular notion. It's hardly electable. You're not going to get elected if you're... If you say, oh, sorry, guys. And again, it would only pertain to the 20 and 30-year-olds, not to the 50-year-olds. But that kind of detail gets lost in the announcement. It's exactly what we need to do, raise the retirement age from 66, and whatever your age is, to something higher. And here, France is at 62. And like you said, they're riding in the streets. Pat, I'm curious, you talk about so much of this data, the convergence of it all, as the Fed is trying to make sense of it all and make decisions related to their next economic move. And that certainly in the micro applies to individual retirees, whether you're looking at Social Security, how much will it provide me, the longevity tables, will I live, if grandma and grandpa live to be 85, will I live to 95 or 100? Certainly we're seeing more and more centurions making it to that age and beyond. Help us understand for the individual retiree that's trying to 
look at the convergence of the data and ascertain what this means for their own economy and most importantly, how that should educate or guide their investment and retirement planning decisions. Craig, that's a great point. We talk a lot about the macro economy. What's the U.S. doing? What's the U.S. doing relative to other economies that we compete with, China, Japan, most European countries? But let's distill that down to John and Mary, who may be listening, how do you take all that data from a macro level and distill it down to actionable steps to take for John and Mary so that in X number of years they get to retire? Or if they're already retired, how do you manage cash flow in this volatile world and things are changing in nanoseconds and with AI or artificial intelligence about to be a dominant issue in the coming years? How does that affect my cash flow? So lots of moving parts. I think it it needs a careful study and looking at the patterns and trends of what's going on. Where are you going to be one, three, five, ten years from now? And will you still be able to live in the lifestyle you've grown accustomed or do you have to move to Arkansas? Nothing wrong with Arkansas, but you don't want to be sent there on a one-way ticket. It's really important to Get a handle on your personal numbers and look at your assets, look at your liabilities, look at the patterns and trends that's affected your cash flow in the next in the last couple of years and attempt to project that going forward. We've got some great software programs that have become very sophisticated in the last ten years and their ability to depict what your number is going to look like a couple of years from now is pretty incredible and pretty darn accurate. So again, if there's anybody out there that wants to look at those numbers in real time and take a snapshot today, we would encourage our listeners to come into one of our offices, give us a call, one triple eight plan wise. We could do a phone call, a Zoom call, or a personal visit in any one of our Bay Area offices. And again, an easy way to set up that appointment without cost or obligation, call 888-PLANWISE, 888-PLANWISE. Or if you prefer, you can also schedule that appointment conveniently online by going to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. I've got a very special guest today, Mark Olson. Mark wrote a book called Animal Colony, an allegory for today's America. He co-authored it with Dr. Thomas Rexworth. Mark, congratulations on a really well-written book. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Pat. I appreciate it. What year did you write this book? I actually was brought on by my co-writer, Tom, who had been working on it for probably three years. It was well before some of the economic madness of the last couple of months. So we're all familiar with George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, where clearly the whole communist movement was a big debate, a lot of discussion. Is that the better system? Was that kind of your predecessor thinking that was the springboard to write Animal Colony? It was, actually. And we debated various forms. We debated even having trying to do a direct... Uh, sequel to to Animal Farm, and uh, we decided that wouldn't be a very good idea for a lot of reasons. But we thought that the uh, the whole idea of showing innocent animals who are in search of a utopia 
is a really powerful one. You may know that Animal Farm was one of the most powerful indictments of Soviet communism that ever came along. As a matter of fact, one great critic called it one of the century's most devastating acts of literary destruction. We decided to do an American version. This, instead of being uh, set in England, this is in Jamestown during the time of the original Jamestown colony. It features the animals in Jamestown who realize that uh, they're not going to survive the winter. They're going to be slaughtered for food by their inept masters, and one of them has a vision of a place of their own where they can live in freedom and prosperity. And so one night they escape, and they find that in an abandoned village. Mark, using animals as a symbol, is it easier, and do you kind of sneak the message in the back door when you tell this wonderful story about how the animals interact with each other and how they create their system? Is it easier for us humans to say, I can identify with this animal or with that animal's comments? Is it less, you know, slamming people over the head and very subtly sneaking the message in the back door? absolutely right. It is more subtle. I think, you know, we're more ready to believe in the purity of the motives of animals. Also, I think it helps us to view the story free of labels, which I think is really important because what's going on right now in our country and the concern and even, you know, the anger about it is not a left or right or a democratic or republican issue. And so what we're finding with Animal Colony is that people are able to read it and to really understand, sometimes for the first time, what's at stake, and without feeling threatened, you know, and and no one's indicting them for having voted this way or that way. It's just a, a story about consequences of choices. As you mentioned, the story begins with a group of animals that escape Jamestown where they're a little more than slaves, and then they find freedom and prosperity, and then leaders kind of emerge from that system, and they clearly go in divergent paths. We all want an easy road. We all want things given to us. We all want some entitlements, but when you create that kind of environment, it's not real conducive to long-term strength and stability. It's kind of a selfish, give me my needs today and don't teach me to fish, just give me some fish. Well, absolutely. You know, it starts out with the the character of a pig, and and we don't make him a pig to be inflammatory. First of all, the bad guy in Animal Farm was a pig, but the character of a pig is really interesting because pigs don't offer the farmer anything on the barnyard until the day they're slaughtered. You know, they're not an animal you can hook up to a plow or anything. And so in our universe, the pigs are become very gifted at ingratiating themselves, at finding other ways to make themselves beloved and needed by the other people so that they can prolong their lives. So this pig comes along and he figures out that he can make friends and win influence among the poor animals by feeding their discontent and by telling them that the reason they don't have as much as the other animals It's not because they refuse to work, which they in many cases do, but it's because they're the victims of economic injustice and uh, that what's needed is a redistribution of wealth, a restoration, you know, of justice. And so the pig becomes very um, eloquent and uh, manages to get himself elected leader of the colony and, and starts promising more and more and taxing more and more. And pretty soon he's got a um, ready audience of animals who are completely addicted to his handouts. And that's how the whole thing spins out of control. Is this book not an indictment against socialism and putting capitalism up a couple notches or even up on a pedestal? It is, because the history of America 
is an unabashed endorsement of free markets and of capitalism. By extension, I think uh, an indictment of socialism. It definitely doesn't work in our case, and, and I don't think it, it works anywhere. I grew up in France. I saw firsthand the really disheartening effects of socialism on a population and how it ruins an economy. I mean, the French economy, taxation is completely out of control. And as a matter of fact, I went back on my honeymoon and uh, went into a nice bistro with my wife, and I paid for dinner with two equal bills. After our meal, the owner came out with a long face and started just moaning and groaning about the economy. And he held up the, the bills and he said, this one goes to me. This one goes yeah. to the government, you know, 50 percent right down the line. And then he started talking about how many people he's had to support just statistically, how many people out of work were supported by those who did work. And then he started asking me if I knew of any cities in America that needed a good French restaurant because <laughs> he couldn't wait to leave. We know throughout most of Europe, you have a kernel of an idea. You bring it to America to develop it because the environment is much more conducive to building and creating something. And if you're successful, you get to keep a lot of it. And guess what? If you took a lot of risks and you created a lot of jobs and you generated a lot of revenue for the government, I think we always want to create an environment that rewards that kind of behavior. You're so right. There's a lack of uh, ability to really create something <laughs> under socialism because it taxes away so much of the result of what you do that the incentive just isn't there anymore. We're finding that people who've never been able to understand these kinds of concepts and these terms, when they read the book, something happens. The light goes on. Matter of fact, early on in the in the drafting of the book, we gave two early drafts to a couple. Both of them changed their tune uh, overnight. They read the book overnight and said, I see what you guys are talking about. It's not always that dramatic, but it's always very powerful. It reminds me of a story of a dad talking with his daughter who had just come home from college after her second year, and she had straight A's. The dad said to the daughter, honey, that's great. Congratulations to you. But I got some bad news. There were a couple students in your class that didn't do any of the work, and they failed, not because they weren't smart, they just didn't put the effort forth. And the teacher decided to kind of average the grades out. So everybody got a C. She started wailing. and she, Dad, that's not fair. I worked hard. And he said, welcome to the reality. And this is what a socialist environment does. It kind of equals everything out, blends everything out. Everybody gets the same kind of outcome. I'm sure you're also familiar with that old quote from uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, that whenever Americans discover that they can vote themselves money from the public till, the experiment will be over. And that's the part that frightens me the most, I think, is that we're going to wind up with a population that absolutely does not know the difference between a right and an entitlement, and, and absolutely expects every need in their lives to be offered them by the government. They don't even understand there's anything else in life that could solve those needs. We're talking today with author Mark Olson. Mark is the co-author with Dr. Thomas Allen Rexworth of a book called Animal Colony. It is an allegory for today's America. Mark, in your book, you touch on everyone deserves an equal opportunity, but not an equal outcome. In this politically correct world that we live in, clearly we know in reality the outcomes are different. You know, what's funny is that, uh, I don't know if you remember, but we actually had uh, some great truths in the in animal colony that uh, the, the animals voted themselves as kind of guiding principles. And the first one was, Every animal deserves an equal opportunity. Another one was that the harvest belongs to those who toil for it. Uh, one of the important ones was he who does not work does not eat. And over time, after this pig assumes leadership, 
and start instituting socialism. Those who originally had drafted those great truths are start hearing them repeated, and gradually words are starting to get changed. Just exactly like you said, uh, over time, uh, every animal deserves an equal opportunity becomes every animal deserves an equal outcome. It's that difference between a right and an entitlement. Certainly, do you say, do people have a right to eat? We all have a right to eat. We shouldn't be denied the right to seek a meal. But now it's been changed to mean we have a right to demand that food be taken from our fellow citizens who work for it and be given to me with no, quote-unquote, no strings attached. Over time, people become completely addicted to this. I really fear, even after this economic crisis passes, I fear that we're going to raise up a population of Americans who expect this sort of thing. Well, we're hearing this kind of rhetoric and have, we deserve and demand health care for all. That's nice, but my fear is once health care is free, I'm afraid it's going to be very expensive. You know, like you said, everyone deserves to eat, everyone deserves to have health care, but contribution kind of helps support all those wonderful, nice things. Yeah, there's this fiction that, uh, you know, these things just come out of nowhere, that we have such aggregate of prosperity, you know, is so huge in America that somehow it's just going to spin off enough money to give everybody these things with no cost to anybody, no appreciable difference in the tax rate, no impact on entrepreneurship or on the drive to better oneself. You know, it's going to be completely painless. I mean, anybody who's reading the papers now should already know that that's not true. We're already seeing the price tags, and the price tags are so far beyond what we can even imagine now that uh, most of us, I think, feel like deer in the headlights. Most of us don't even have a grasp of mathematics sufficient to even understand the kind of numbers that are being bandied around. Well, there's so many zeros. We all struggle with billions and now trillions of dollars. There's not enough paper to fit all those zeros when I start writing those down. We're talking today with Mark Olson. Mark is the co-author of Animal Colony. In your book, you guys talk about unintended consequences. We all want this for free and we all feel entitled, but there's some unintended consequences to that mentality. When the government solves all these wonderful things for us and we get to sit back and just collect, what's some of the fallout from that? Well, we know from experience uh, that the government is only really good at a very few basic things and that when it starts to overextend itself and really uh, put its tentacles into every part of life, it screws things up. That happens all the time, and it, and it happens in animal colony. They try to inject themselves and tell people what to do, and pretty soon there are things in the infrastructure that, that aren't being taken care of or, or things that turn out terribly wrong. But that's just a result of government putting itself where it doesn't belong inevitably it's going to make horrible mistakes, the kind of stuff that shows up on 60 Minutes and in congressional hearings because they're just extending themselves way too far. I've always believed that the free market system has a way of balancing things out. And if corporations are building a widget that suddenly falls out of favor today because, A, they didn't market it well or they didn't run their companies well, we feel badly about it, but you have to go by the wayside. I wonder if this thinking was in effect when uh, there were 100 automakers that were either bought up or closed down because they didn't create the kind of 
product that consumers wanted during that period. And so when you start getting outsiders coming in, as you mentioned, that's a great example of a government official with no executive experience, number one, number two, no automobile or industry experience making decisions. Talk about ivory tower decision-making and not being in any kind of connection to what the industry demands. You know, the problem is that government doesn't function with the same motives and the same dynamics that private industry does. If when he makes this decision about marketing, he's not going to be out of a job in six months. He doesn't function according to the marketplace and, you know, the rules of profit and loss and demand and scarcity. He doesn't have to worry about how to fund himself. He's not dependent on income from the actual sale of the products. His future is already uh, assured as far as economic stability until the next term. And his big thing is to get reelected. So he is a complete cross-purposes with private corporation out there in the economy. And to mix the two is a disaster, and it always will be, unless, of course, he starts nationalizing everything and taking you know, everything and into the government mantle. Then all of a sudden, private industry disappears and becomes a part of government. People need to be uh, up in arms, whether they identify themselves one way or another. It doesn't matter. There's cause for grave concern. For this rush towards socialism, is there any hope Americans, most of them are hardworking people who earn their living every day, will they let this happen and let capitalism go by the wayside and socialism come into play? Your example of living in France, I've read a fair amount that that system is just broken because they let the cat out of the bag and now the ones who feel entitled are kind of running the ship and those who want to work hard are not motivated. Is there any hope for us? Well, there's cause for a lot of concern, but I was amazed at the strength of their feelings about the issue. So I think there's reason for cautious optimism. And that's why we offered Animal Colony as something for people that have folks they're trying to debate with and they're trying to help understand what's at stake. And maybe they've run out of steam, the debate has stalled out, and they don't know how to get the message across. And what we're saying is there's nothing easier or more disarming than just saying, hey, read this story. I guarantee the light is going to go on. And we think it's something that could change America. And so I have hope, and this is my way of offering something that I think can make a difference. So I'm choosing cautious optimism. Mark Olson, congratulations on a very well-written book. Very, very timely. Your timing could not have been better. I wish you well. Thank you so much, Pat, for having me. I appreciate it. Any questions for Mark or if you'd like to come in for our no-obligation consultation, give us a call at one plan wise That's 1-888-PLANWISE, 888-752-6947. Listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no obligation financial plan tune up in one of the Bay Area's offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888 Plan Wise. That's 888 P L A N W I S E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program 
or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the Bay Area offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-C. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Proxy Freedom. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom has no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.